Welcome, everybody, and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live from a motel room, hotel room, in Texas. That's right, I'm in North Texas right now. I'm on the road. It's an on-the-road show with Ishai, and it's great to be with you. I'm doing great. I'm in a great mood. I'm a little bit sick. I've got uh, a little bit of a, a sinusitis, which is something that kind of uh, runs in the family. Uh, and it's once I get it, I, it's hard to get rid of. Uh, but um, I've gotten good advice and uh, took a little bit of antibiotics, which I got and whatever. And I'm doing great and I'm in a great mood. That's the best part about it because um, life is funky. Life is crazy. Life is wild. And it's all from Hashem. And it's all good. And I'm in a great mood. And it's great to be in the great state of Texas. Why is it great to be in Texas? Uh, because Texas is a state which has an ethos, which is just similar to the ethos of uh, Jewish rights in Judea, the so-called settlements, and certainly Hebron, and there's a Hebron, Texas. And so when I'm here, people recognize uh, what I am and what I stand for, and it's just an easy time to talk with. And once the Gentiles understand that, the Jews do as well often. Uh, The Jewish people uh, are a conduit uh, for the nations, but the nations have an influence on the Jewish people. And so when I'm here, uh, there's just a general atmosphere which works. Uh, Pro-Bible, pro-God, pro-gun, pro-freedom, pro-Alamo makes people here have a great sense for uh, what Hebron is all about. Uh, We are are a kind of Alamo, right? Now, one of the things that uh, I tell people around here is when they see the gas station that's called Chevron, just pronounce it correctly, which is Chevron, Chevron. Like Chevron is the actual right, correct spelling for Chevron in English. So I tell people, you know, it's a great opportunity for you to remember the mamas and the papas when you just see the gas station Chevron. So that's number one. Uh, number two is that I spoke yesterday to Bible lovers, uh, and, no, Bible followers and Israel lovers. That's my code word for Gentiles. Uh, who are not Jewish and do not share exactly the Jewish faith, but share uh, in a faith spawned from, born from Judaism. Uh, but I have a simple word, which is uh, Bible lovers uh, and, uh, and uh, no, Bible followers and Israel lovers. And the reason I, I use that terminology is because I have a thing that I came up with, which is very simple. It's called, let's agree to agree. Let's agree to agree. Let's agree to talk about things that bring us together and have give us commonality and thereby have strength through, through uh, our commonality and be able to fight for things together and not uh, fight one another over points that are not the central points of, uh, of what we need to get done. Uh, to that end, right after this segment, I will play my speech uh, from yesterday's awesome gathering uh, of almost 200 uh, Bible followers and Israel lovers here in Texas, and it's really special to be able to speak with them. And I think you'll enjoy it, and maybe it'll be instructive and illustrative, uh, and maybe maybe a little bit of a Kiddush Hashem. That's what we try to do out here in this world, right? Uh, we try to bring God's name into uh, His presence, into Zion and into this world, therefore. Uh, Let's start a little bit with the Torah portion. But before I do that, I want to thank Yocheved Seidman, Moshe Herman, uh, Ben Bresky, Tabitha, and Lou, who also gave me great advice uh, about which vitamins, supplements to take in order to get back to full health. So I'm excited about that. I'll be spending some money at the CVS here today to get some good uh, health supplements. And if you ever have advice for me of any kind and you want to just advise me or ask me for something or tell me something, uh, please feel free to do so. I am 
surprisingly open-minded. It's really surprising. So write me an email, yishai at yishaifleischer.com. And I also want to thank the many great folks who have uh, started started with uh, sharing some coffee with me by uh, going to uh, buymeacoffee.com forward slash yishai or just going to yishaifleischer.com and, and clicking on that buy me a coffee button. And it's just a great way to to um, support the Yishai Fleischer show and be part of the story of the Jewish people's return to the land of Israel and the building up of Judea and the land of Israel uh, as an abode for God and, and being part of this whole whole giant effort. So what a schud it is to, 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 to drink coffee together, shall we say, virtually, uh, and, and to move forward. Let's talk about the Torah portion. It's an amazing Torah portion. It's called Vayigash. And it's the second to last Torah portion in the book of Genesis. And, and there are really two major aspects of this Torah portion. One, well, maybe, maybe two or three. I, I, I'll see how it, how it divides when we get through it. It's, it's like this. The first one is the conflict meeting face-to-face between Judah, Yehuda, and Yosef, the, uh, at this point, the viceroy of Egypt, Tzafnat Panach, this person that the brothers uh, seemingly don't recognize. And we've had these moments before, right? We've, we, the Bible has, the Torah has um, a few of these scenes where like, people are talking to one another, but they don't quite recognize each other. Certainly with Jacob, uh, with, with the blessings that Yitzchak wants to bestow on Esau, but bestows it on Jacob, uh, Leah the, and Rachel, uh, uh, who uh, who marries uh, Jacob that 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 first night? Indeed, it was Leah and not Rachel. Uh, so there's a misunderstanding of identity, uh, and we also have um, um, what else did I want? which other? Uh, oh, and we have Judah and Tamar. Right? Judah thinks that this woman is not Tamar; she's just some some person on the road. But it actually happens to be his daughter-in-law. And and here, uh, Joseph and his brothers. So it's an interesting thing to contemplate that that Betzem, uh, that that uh, seemingly that there is this um, biblical uh, issue of false identities or unclear identities or or or, or uh, masquerading. That 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 is part of the uh, the biblical story. Uh, in any case. Here, uh, what happened was is that Yosef is telling his brothers uh, that now he's going to incarcerate Binyamin, Benjamin, and he's going to incarcerate him for uh, ostensibly having stolen this chalice, right? Uh, this this, this uh, copper chalice, uh, or maybe it's a silver chalice. Uh, yeah, it's a silver chalice, but it has the word. The reason I said copper is because it says nacheshi nachesh. Uh, because my 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 master will uses it to divine, or uh, there's a question what it exactly means, but that always reminds me of the nachash nechoshet, the copper snake. So I, I made that error by saying that it was a copper chalice. No, it's not a copper chalice. It is a divination chalice, maybe uh, made of silver. And this is all part of Joseph's ruse in order to see how the brothers will they sell their brother again? Will they sell his brother? Benjamin to Joseph as they sold Joseph down to Egypt, will they sin again or will they this time do tshuva? And amongst the many powers of Joseph, amongst his many visions uh, of what he wanted to achieve in this world, which is uh, that he wanted to achieve bringing the Jews down to the land of Egypt because that was his, he understood that as his mission. His other thing was, before I do so, I must see if they have achieved tshuva repentance or 
force them to do repentance and force the maturation process uh, of the brothers. You see, Joseph is Joseph is a catalyst. That's what he is. That's the kind of personality he is in this world. He is a driver of change. Ow, I just stubbed my toe. That's going to hurt. Oh, against the luggage. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Just I was uh, pacing back and forth here and just stubbed my toe. Was not very smart. Uh, thank you, Hashem. I must have said something not quite right. Uh, displeased the Lord, maybe. Thank you, God, for reminding me to, uh, to always thank you. And thank you, Hashem. Uh, for stubbing my toe, and thank you, Hashem, for reminding me of your great name and that we're in your service. Um, uh, so back to the Torah portion. Um, Joseph is a catalyst for tshuva also. And so uh, Judah, Yehuda, is going to rise up like the lion of Judah that he is, and he's going to tell Joseph, uh, I will, let me take, the, he tells the whole story about 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 uh, how Jacob, uh, you know, basically lost Joseph, and that he that Judah cannot come back to Jacob without Benjamin because he promised Jacob that he promised Yaakov that he he will be in charge of of protecting uh, Benjamin, and therefore he says, you know, just take me instead, uh, take me as your hostage, as your slave, and uh, and Joseph then realizes that there is tshuva, there is repentance, there is fixing of the sin of the sale of, of Joseph. And uh, he breaks down and he cries, he cries, and he, um, and he reveals himself to his brothers. Um, um, in parentheses, I want to tell you that the Joseph personality, to my ears, uh, continues to be grading like he was grading onto the brothers uh, initially. And in some ways, I must tell you that I understand the Joseph personality as being one who, in some ways, he did not repent exactly. He did not repent for the sin of the favoritism of his father. And here he will continue to do things like saying things like, my father, not our father, uh, and then showing favoritism to his brother, uh, Benjamin, and... And, and just generally kind of showing this attitude of the continuation of the separatism and favoritism that plagued them originally, which caused the brothers to, to hate him. And uh, they may have uh, changed, but he seems to me, to my ears, and, and the Torah is neutral. It doesn't exactly tell us how to see things. Uh, but my read is that there's something about the Joseph way, which, which continues this, this path that... Um, that caused that estrangement from the beginning, but at this at this period now that he's really on top, the brothers are not going to start up with him, and they're certainly not going to sell him anymore. And they certainly have learned their lesson. Uh, but he, but he doesn't go changing exactly. He's not like, and I am sorry for my fa- that 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 I you know said lashon hara about you guys to our father, and that I allowed myself to be treated with um, with favoritism and. Uh, and he continues to be the incredible personality that he is, this, this amazing mover and shaker of things. Uh, but, but in some ways, I think to myself that he a bit is not exactly repentant, although he is considered a great righteous person, but, but definitely a complex figure. And that leads us to the next bit, which is, um, which is that Joseph uh, reveals that uh, his brothers, that indeed these people are his brothers. He tells Pharaoh, you know, my brothers have come to me. And then Pharaoh says... 
you are now commanded to bring your brothers and father down from Israel to the land of Egypt. Vatatsuveta, it says, and you are now commanded. So this is an official statement. To me, what I read is, this is now the very conflict which Joseph foresaw. And Pharaoh says to him, I command you now to bring your brothers and father down here in order to, this is my read, which is to assimilate the Jewish people into Egypt. Uh, and, and Pharaoh uh, uh, follows the instincts of his dreams. Bring them down here. Not send them food and make sure that they're okay in Canaan because that's what they're from. No, bring them down here and settle them here and make sure that and let the and let the best of them become officers in my in my uh, work in my in my um, court whatever it is, and 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 thereby ensure that the Jews come down to Egypt. This is where uh, culture resides. This is the capital, and I want them to be subsumed into it. And immediately Joseph, recognizing that. Uh, goes into his mode that he preordained, which is uh, to set the Jews aside, bring them to Egypt, but send them, set them aside uh, in Goshen and ensure that they beca- remain a separate entity uh, and non-Egyptian entity in Egypt. Uh, Rabbi Mike Foyer would call them the undigestible element in that empire. Uh, and he sets aside his plan. Um, the next section is uh, very tricky for me, uh, which is this issue of how Joseph treats uh, Egypt. And uh, on the one hand, Joseph saves Egypt, as my, my brother Josh pointed out to me. Uh, and, and we had a big discussion over last Shabbat. And he says, listen, you know, Joseph saves the world. He saves Egypt from starvation. But on the other hand, as uh, other friends of mine have pointed out, my friend uh, Arthur very passionately wrote to me, and we discussed uh, um, the the way in which uh, basically Joseph is is a, some kind of form of communist, where he uh, allows the people to move, be moved off their land, become city dwellers, uh, and thereby more dependent on government instead of self self sustaining, self dependent. Um, and and also allows them to give up their personal freedom to the government that will now sustain them uh, for high taxes. Uh, and it's a welfare system in part. Uh, my brother pointed out, on the other hand, that his rabbi pointed out that uh, that you know it wasn't exactly welfare because everybody had to work in order to to get the welfare or to you know keep their earnings. Uh, but at the same time, it, it just seems like. Uh, there was a creation of a slave class that wasn't there beforehand. There was slavery in Egypt, but now it became a, a, a new slave class. And, and later, the, the, while, while the Egypt was saved through these machinations uh, from starvation, on the other hand, um, soon after uh, this slave c- class turned, uh, this is the creation of slavery in Egypt, the, the, of a large slavery class in Egypt, turned on the Jews when Joseph was gone. Uh, and enslave them. But then on the other hand, is that what, and this is, this is the scary part, is that what Joseph was really doing? Was he really creating a moment through which the Jews would be enslaved so that it could fulfill God's promise to Abraham that your, that your children will be enslaved in Egypt or in a land not theirs and then leave with a, with a mighty outstretched arm? Is, here's the scary thing. 
is all of this uh, happening in order to fulfill God's vision that the Jews be enslaved and that and that Egypt will be punished um, and that God's mighty wonders be shown? Uh, are Jews sometimes also uh, catalysts for a history which we kind of wish we wouldn't have to see? But is that really God's plan? And is God's plan... His mind is not our mind, and so therefore, uh, what, what we may think of as bad and wrong in terms of values is is partially, in this case, uh, what God wanted to see. Like, 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 is the Holocaust, for example, in modern our times, is the Holocaust not part of the promise in the Book of Deuteronomy? And also the catalyst for the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, and therefore, as horrific it, as it is, and it is indescribably horrific, um, was that was that part of the godly plan uh, to give rebirth to the Jewish people in the land of Israel in our time to bring to bring to a period of the third temple? It's 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 these things are hard, and to me, these are real philosophical questions and challenges. Uh, and I don't have I don't have answers. I have I have. I'm sharing with you the questions, and I think that you've probably, if you've read through these texts, you've had those questions as well. I know that my friends and family all raise these issues, uh, and so therefore I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a general question mark. And, um, and we also have the meeting between uh, Jacob and Pharaoh, right? Jacob and Pharaoh, uh, and that's a weird meeting. Pharaoh's like, how old are you? And he says, you know, um, he says, my life, uh, my life, uh, you know, has, has been hard and, and it didn't reach the age of my uh, forefathers. Uh, I, I didn't reach their, their, their age. And it's just like, is that what you say to Pharaoh? Um, um, and, and the rabbis, uh, the sages actually complain a little bit about what Jacob said to him. But others say he was just trying to not get the jealousy of Pharaoh and basically uh, allow the Jewish people to be set aside so that they won't be swallowed up with by, by Egypt. And he too understood the dangers of the Egyptian moment uh, for the Jewish people. So uh, tricky stuff. But then what we're going to see is that we're going to see the uh, spirit of Jacob rising again and having his best years in Egypt which I like to think of as the Florida years, right, where he's spending time in Florida with the grandkids. And, um, and uh, the spirit of, of Jacob returning and, and the spirit of Israel returning and the blessings that are going to come in the next Torah portion uh, for uh, the children of Israel, for the brothers, uh, each getting their blessings from Jacob. All right, folks, you are listening to the Yishai Fleischer Show. What an honor and a privilege it is to be with you. I'm pacing back and forth here at a motel room uh, in uh, uh, in uh, Texas, North Texas. It's a lot of fun, um, and I'm, I'm, I got my tefillin on, and uh, it's time to get on with the rest of my day. But I want to thank all of you guys. Write me an email, yishayishayfleischer.com. Buy me a cup of coffee. Um, buy me a coffee forward slash yishay. Um, oh, buy me a coffee.com forward slash yishay. Uh, I want to thank all the good folks that make the show happen. And I want to ask you to stay on right now and enjoy, I think, a, 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 a speech of the kind that you don't hear me give a lot because, you know, I'm oftentimes speaking to just Jewish audiences 
and yesterday uh, having a lot of fun speaking to uh, Bible followers, Israel lovers, uh, and that's a special thing. I also want to thank the good folks at JewishPress.com for putting out our show every single week. Check out Jewish Press's uh, great email, the Jewish Express. Uh, Check out my good uh, friend Chaim's great uh, restaurant food services called Prohibition Pickle, which they sponsor kiddushes all over Israel, all kinds of great stuff. Prohibition Pickle is found on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. Check them out, Prohibition Pickle. Uh, And, of course, uh, Hebron Fund, the Jewish community of Hebron, protects the Tomb of the Fathers and the Mothers and makes sure that you can come there safely uh, and pilgrimage to this amazing shrine my wife and I are always laughing about that uh, that article that called it uh, in the Times of Israel. They call it the West Bank Flashpoint Shrine. Fla- West Bank Flashpoint Shrine. That's that's where I work at the West Bank Flashpoint Shrine. We just laugh about that because it's just, just a, such such a funny way. Uh, you can support the West Bank Flashpoint Shrine uh, at HebronFund.org. All right, folks. God bless you. More great stuff is on the way. Here's my talk yesterday from Texas. Hebron. Hebron is where the tomb of the forefathers and mothers is. Uh, I want to disabuse you right now of a big mistake that you'll find it all over the world. Uh, You'll see that it's called the tomb of the patriarchs. I ask you, do me a favor, please do not make the mistake of calling it the tomb of the patriarchs. Big mistake. You'll never hear me say it. I call it tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, or tomb of the forefathers and mothers, tombs of the mamas and the papas. The reason, the reason I want to make sure that you don't make that mistake is because if you call it the Tomb of the Patriarchs, you miss the whole point. The whole point is that it's fathers and mothers together. The whole point. Wait a minute. Let's go to Mount Rushmore. Who's, who's uh, portrayed there? Four American presidents. That's great. You go to the Jefferson Memorial, the Lincoln Memorial. Great folks. But those are just men. The Tomb of the Fathers and Mothers in Hebron is fathers and mothers together. Couples that came together to give birth to a nation. It is a national monument of the founders of our peoplehood and the people that gave us the Bible. The stars of the book of Genesis. Uh, and, and they are mothers and fathers together. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that the site itself, Abraham came to Hebron 3,800 years ago. 3,800 years ago, Abraham came to Hebron. At the time, it was a 700-year-old city. You guys are not like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Guys, I took a, I took a, um, I drove from L.A. to Phoenix. I crossed over to Arizona, and it said, welcome to Arizona, celebrating 100 years. I came out of the car, I stood next to the sign, and I laughed. I said, 100 years? I live in a town that's, I work in a town that's 4,500 years old. When Abraham came to it, it was 700 years old. You can imagine Isaac telling Abraham, wow, this is a really ancient place we got to. How old is it? It's 700 years old. That's in Abraham's time. So that's amazing. Abraham, we're going to learn about it in the Bible in just a second. Abraham purchased it 3,800 years ago, and it became a, a, a monument, a mausoleum, a, a shrine. For the fathers and the mothers together. First person to be buried there is not a patriarch. It is a matriarch, Sarah. We'll, get to, we'll see that in the Bible in just a second. So that's the first thing I want to make sure that you call it. Two of the patriarchs and matriarchs. In English, there's a nice word that we don't have in Hebrew, which is ancestors. Okay, so you can just say two of the ancestors if you like. That's number one. Number two, the building that you see there. 
You saw that building, right? That building is there today. And one of the things that we'll talk about towards the end today is tourism and visitation or pilgrimage to that site. That is a 2,000-year-old building that was built by King Herod. I know you've heard of him before. And Herod, he's, uh, he's got a checkered past. He's got a checkered past. And, and he was, on the one hand, he was a very brilliant builder. On the other hand, he also killed his Jewish wife, put her in honey, and then spoke to her for three years. I think the guy, we would say that he's got issues, okay? He's got issues, but he's also a brilliant builder. What did he build? Masada, the second temple building that, that was destroyed. Caesarea, and other buildings, and other famous shrines. But there's only one shrine that continues to exist today, completely whole. Never broken, never destroyed. Exactly the same floor that Herod built 2,000 years ago is the floor that's there today. Yes, I had a Christian tourist who came with me on a tour of the Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs. He goes to me, this is nice, but where's the archaeology? I laughed and laughed and laughed, okay? Because I can take him to a site that's younger. 1,500 years ago, it's a total ruin. This building does not look like archaeology. It is whole. It is exactly the way it's been built. It was built 2,000 years ago. That's the other miracle. That's the other miracle. And also, whatever subsequent peoples came to control it, they never changed its name. For example, when the Romans destroyed the Temple Mount, they put on, uh, on the Temple Mount where the temple stood, they put in a idol of Jupiter. Jupiter is, by the way, Zeus Pater. It's the father of Zeus. Okay, they put an idolatry of, 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 of Jupiter on the Temple Mount. Not so with the two of the fathers and mothers. All the peoples that came, they were Muslims, they were Byzantines, they were Muslims, they were Christians, they were Muslims, they were Christians, they were Muslims again, and now the Jews are back. Uh, never changed the name of it. It was always the two of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah. Where's Rachel? In the tomb of Rachel in Bethlehem. She is not buried with the rest of the first family of Israel. You like that term? Write that down. First family of Israel. I came up with that term. All right? I like that term a lot. The first family of Israel. I picked up a few American things for Hebron. First family. Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah. By the way, sometimes people say, I say to people, who's buried at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs? So they say to me, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebekah, and Leah. I go, wrong. That is not the right way to say it. That's correct, but it's wrong. Why? Because it's Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Leah. That's who's buried there. In a world, if I can be allowed to say something politi not politically correct, in a world of gender fluidity, in a world of, of where family values are, are being decimated before our eyes, the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs stands for the couples that came together to, in love to give birth to a nation. And it stands there miraculously to this very day, whole, as it was built 2,000 years ago, and the caves underneath, which are 2,000 years before that, 3,800 years old. Let us turn together to, um, how fun is this to learn some Bible together? Isn't that fun? And we're going to do it with the Hebrew. We're going to do it with the biblical Hebrew. So let's turn to chapter 23 um, of the book of Genesis, verse 1. Let me know if you're on. Chapter 23. 
I'm going to read in Hebrew, and I'll translate. And your translation may differ a little bit, and I'm also doing it extemporaneously, but, uh, but we'll do it together. Vayihiyu chayei Sarah, mea shana, v'srim shana, v'sheva shanim shnei chayei Sarah. And the life of Sarah was 127 years old. That was the life of Sarah. This is a biblical story that starts with the life of Sarah. 3,800 years ago, documents from those eras did not make women into a very valuable thing. And yet the Bible is like the life of Sarah. We will be celebrating the life of Sarah. And we have names for these Torah portions. We call it the life of Sarah. Okay? You may not have that in your Bibles, but we call it the Torah portion of the life of Sarah. Sarah passed away in the city of Kiryat Arba. He Hebron, it is Hebron, Beretz Knan, in the land of Canaan. Abraham came to cry for Sarah and to eulogize her. Again, take a moment to consider that. Abraham came to eulogize and cry over his beloved Sarah. Abraham got up in front of his dead, meaning to say the dead was before him. Now, according to Judaism, Abraham passes ten tests in his life. Some people say that the ultimate test was the binding, Isaac's binding on the Temple Mount. But other people say, no, this is going to be the tenth test. And he gets up before his dead. His beloved wife Sarah is laying there, maybe covered with, with, uh, with proper covering. And now he's going to speak to the Hittites. He speaks to the local Hittites, saying, I am a sojourner amongst you. Let me have a burial place amongst you. Let me bury this beloved Sarah from before me. The Hittites answered him, saying, Now, get into Middle East mode, okay? In the Middle East we haggle, right? You remember it. We haggle, right? It's not like here, you know, they give you a price, you pay for it. In the Middle East, you haggle. So get into that mood that we're in the marketplace in the Middle East. The Hittites answered him, saying, Listen to us, sir. You are a prince of God amongst us. They recognized who Abraham was, a prince of God. In our choicest burial plot, please bury your dead. None of us will stop you from burying your dead in the, in the choice plots. What does Abraham do? Does he say, great? First thing he does is he slows it down. He gets up. He bows. Abraham bows to the Hittites. Slowing things down, giving honor. Honor is the main language in the Middle East. I don't know how to talk honor. But he says, However, if you have it in your heart to bury my dead, from before me, now you listen to me. Please find me this guy named Ephron, the son of Tzohar. Let him give me the double cave, which belongs to him, which is on the edge of the field. Because of my life, full fare do I want to pay? Natalie, he should give it to me for full fare, for full cost. Betochachem amongst you, lachuzak kavod for a burial plot. Now, veEfron Yosef betoch neichet. There's Ephron the Hittite. He's amongst them. He's sitting there. So there's witnesses. So Ephron gets up. 
Vayan Ephron, and Ephron answers him, Achiti, the, the Hittite, saying, he answers Abraham, in the ears of the other Hittites, to all the people who come into his gate. Why is that important? Because the meeting place in those times was in the gate of the city. So, in, so he's standing there, here's, here's Abraham, here's Ephron, they're having a discourse, and everybody's listening. It's very public, there's witnesses. Notice, by the way, it says, in the gate of his city. It's Ephron's city. You'll see in a minute why that's important. What is he going to say to him? What's Ephron going to say to him? No, sir. You listen to me. You feel it? You feel that Middle East talk? No, you listen to me. I have given you the field. And the cave that's within it. I've given it to you. In front of all of my, the eyes of my people. I've given it to you. Bury your dead. What's he doing? He's big. This is, Ephron's big today. Abraham's asking for a piece of land. He's going to gift it to him. I am large. Look at me. I bequeath it upon you. I gift it to you, Abraham. What does Abraham do? Slows it down. Abraham bows low to the people of the land. And he speaks to Ephron in the ears of everybody gathered, in the ears of the people of the land, saying, If you are with me, hear me. I've given you, I've already set aside the money for the field. Take it from me. And I'll bury my dead there. Why does he say I've set the money aside? Why does he say that? So I'll just tell you, have you ever, you guys bargainers, you guys sometimes haggle? Yeah? Can I see there's some hagglers here, okay? So, so I like to buy my wife jewelry from time to time. And the jewelry people, they're, they're hagglers. So I've learned a trick from Abraham. I come into the store, if I see something that's like 1,200 shekel, but I know that it's, that it's overpriced, I want to pay a certain amount, let's say 800 shekel. What I do is I go into the store, I see the thing I like, I see the price, I walk out of the store, and I prepare the exact amount of money that I want to pay. I come to the merchant, and I take out the money, and I put it on the table, I take two steps back. I say, this money is yours. Now you have to decide, are you going to give me back the money, Mr. Merchant? I, we're not negotiating over this, is, the money's in your hands already. Now you have to decide what's more worth it for you, because this is real money, it's on the table, it's yours. It's not like in my pocket and maybe I'll give it to you, maybe I won't. The negotiation is now about you, and the money's in your hands. I also, I also keep like 50 shekel extra in my pocket. If he's like having a home, I'm like, here you go. So two, step, two steps back, breaks him every time, all right? Because, because to that point, that merchant does not know if you mean business. He doesn't know. So it's just arbitrary, so he wants to get the most. But once the money's laid out, it's, and it's, you know, the, the smell is coming into his nose, and he sees that object sitting on his shelf for the last 20 years, he knows this is his chance. So Abraham says, I've already set the money aside. I've already, you don't, you don't even have to feel bad. The money's yours, just take it. So Abraham says to him, excuse me, Ephron answers, Abraham saying to him, Adoni Shameini. No, you listen to me. Eretz, 400 shekel kesef. It's a land with 400 silver weight. 
ביני ובינך, מהי? What is it between me and you? בין ביתך כבוד. And bury your dead. You see how real this language is? You see how true it is? This, do you see how beautiful the Bible is? It's not some, it's, it's really telling you the way, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about how real it is. What is this uh, 400 silver weight? We think it's about $800,000 in today's money. He says, 400 silver weight between me and you, what is that? Come on, it's nothing. Between friends, right? Abraham listened to Ephron. Abraham weighed out the money. That, that, excuse me, the weight. Kesef means today money, but it really means silver or it means, or, 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 or the word shekel means, excuse me, the word shekel means, means today it means the coinage of Israel, but it comes from the word weight. So he weighed out the silver. That he spoke in the ears of all the witnesses, the Hittites. 400 silver weight passing to the merchant. And then the Bible says in verse 17. Do you guys have that verse 17? Yeah. Why, don't you, why don't you read it to me? Why don't you read it to me the way it says? So the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah. Which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which were within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth, before all who went in the gate of his city. Great. Whose city? No. No. It was deeded to Abraham. He's the subject. His city. Before it was hit, it was Ephron's city. Because whoever controls the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, that holy spot, he controls all of Hebron. So Ephron owned it beforehand. So the Bible says it was his city. Now it passed to Abraham, now it's his city. Now it's his city. And the Bible, and in the Hebrew, it's even a little bit more. You can, you can feel it, but it's nuanced. The Bible tells you when you control the holy places like the Temple Mount, like Hebron, like the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron, like the tomb of Joseph, that you control those holy places, you control those whole cities, and the truth is, whoever controls Shechem, Jerusalem, Hebron controls the land of Israel. That's the way it is on a deep level. And so, so the Torah is just hinting to you. It passed, the whole city passed and became Abraham's. And the other word there is the word vayakam in, in, in English, uh, it, it became, but in Hebrew it's, it rose up. The level of the city rose up and now became under the ownership and sovereignty of Abraham. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the place where I work every single day. That's a place that you can come and touch it yourself. Later on, in the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob will ask Where's Jacob dying? He's laying dying in Egypt. And he says, don't. He says to his sons, come over around me. I want to tell you something. Don't bury me in New York, Texas, okay? I want you to bury me in Hebron. I want you to take me out of Egypt. And I want you to bury me there. And he says, that's where Abraham and Sarah were buried. That's where Isaac and Rebekah were buried. That's where I buried Leah. And that's where I want you to bury me, in Hebron, in that tomb. Jacob's other name is Israel. Do you know that there are some Israelis who don't know that? You ask Jews, you're like, where's the name Israel come from? They don't know. The, 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 the ignorance 
the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, you don't know how to read and write, what's it called? Illiteracy. 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 The biblical illiteracy is, is astounding sometimes. And also here. You guys know it here, but let's go to the street and we'll ask a regular person. They won't know. And so I get, I get to live a life where my job is to beautify and protect this place and to bring people there and to connect them with Abraham's heritage. Um, many of you have not been there. Maybe some of you have been there. No, not a lot. Uh, and that's also because there are enemies out there that want to make getting to Hebron scary. Why do they want to make it scary? Because if you're in the business of uprooting Israel, where do you want to strike? At the root. You want to uproot the root. And so there's a whole effort out there to scare people from coming to the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. But if you do make it uh, through all the thicket and all the challenges and all the now the corona thing, right? Where it's hard to get to Israel, my beloved country is making it hard for people to come in. Um, you got to come to the fathers and the mothers. And if you believe yourself to be uh, part of the Abrahamic heritage, I believe, let me tell you a little story. One time, one time I was with an Australian journalist. One of the worst parts of my job is that I have to deal with journalists. Okay? I deal with a lot of good folks, but I have to deal with this class of people called journalists. And, uh, and most of the time it's unpleasant business. Although I've had some great journalists as well, but most of the time unpleasant. And this was an Australian journalist. And she says, to, she's a white Australian journalist. And she says to me, Mr. Flash, I can't do Australian accents, it's going to be British. Mr. Flash. Don't you know you're living in occupied land? I was like, wait a minute, look, I thought, I thought to myself in my heart, look, wait a minute, you're a white Australian. You're like the epitome of a people who came and took over other people's lands. You are like the epitome of a person out from there. And me, I'm a Jew, a Judean, behind me is the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs. My people that has been here from 3,800 years. At that very moment when she said that to me, I didn't even, I answered her in a diplomatic way, because that's part of the thing. Uh, so at that very moment though, a drop of bitterness entered my heart. As it could do. It could, it could out there. And this drop of bitterness entered my heart and I said, what kind of world is this? What kind of world is this that the person, a so-called journalist, comes and denies my very history and, and lies to my face and she's, Supposedly objective, and she's already telling me that I'm a thief. What kind of world is this? You know, I mean, it was, it was a, a drop of, of darkness entered my heart, and a, a, a despondency, a sadness. At that very moment, that very moment, as God would have it, a friend of mine who worked at the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs as the gardener, and he was a Russian Ukrainian Jew, and I happen to be from Russian stock. My parents are Russian, so we speak Russian. So it was my friend Gidani. He came up to me and he said, he looked at my face and I must have recognized something. And I was in the middle with this, with this journalist and he says to me, you want to, in Russian he says to me, you want to make you a cup of coffee? <laughs> Not, should we get a cup of coffee? Not, he says to me, I, you want me to make you a cup of coffee? I, 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 you know what? And I was like, I was like, as I, in my heart, I said, you know this Gidani, this guy came from Ukraine. And he's here, and he's a gardener, he's a strong, big Jew, and he carries a gun, and he's a gardener, and he makes this place beautiful. And he's such a beautiful soul, and here he is, he's offering me to make me coffee, and I, like my heart came back to itself, you know? You know? 
So three hours later, I was in my offices uh, in Hebron, and suddenly the emergency channels, emergency communication equipment goes off. And I'm not, I'm not one of the guys with the emergency equipment stuff, although I am also part of the defense, but that's not my thing, there's other people who do that. But once it goes off, you hear it, it's like sirens and beeps, and you know, all kinds of noises and all the people with the walkie-talkies, stuff goes off. Remember, we're like a defended city, there's a lot of security going down. Something's happened. And we heard it was a stand. And, and I was sitting next to the director general of the community, and we're like, something's going on, let's get out there and see what's going on. And we heard it was a stabbing next to the Patriots Matrix, and a soldier had been stabbed. We get there, it wasn't a soldier, it was Gennady. Oh my gosh. He had been stabbed with a machete, punctured his heart, punctured his lung, punctured his liver. And this Gennady, tough guy, uh, he held out for 10 days. And then he succumbed to his uh, wounds. Gennady Kaufman. And I remember on that day that I learned that the battle for Israel is on, always on these two parallel tracks. One is the same battle that this journalist was fighting. I call it the narrative war. She was there telling me, you're not from here. You're, not, you're a thief. You don't belong. This building that's actually a Palestinian heritage site. You're stolen. You're not from here. And then the other one is, oh, if you don't buy that, then we'll just terrorize you and scare you from coming. And I want to tell you that you guys in this room might not believe it, but you're even more targeted right now than I am. Even though I'm probably one of the most hated people, which is, which is funny because I'm a really nice guy, you know? But, but, like, but like really for the international progressive left, the Euros, and the jihadists, and notice I don't say the word Arabs because there are many Arabs who are on our side, who are our friends, many Arabs I, I, I work with every single day, but there's an element of Let's call it uh, Islamic extremism, if you want to call it that, Muslim Brotherhood. I call it jihadism in short. Uh, they, hate, they hate me and, and what I stand for. Um, but they're targeting you more than me. Why is that? Because you live far away, like we started our conversation. And you don't know. You don't know. And, somebody, and, your, and your children don't know. You're, 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 the students in college, they don't know. And so the enemy has identified that it's easier to get them and to tell them a story that Israel's illegitimate, that Israel doesn't belong, that Israel is actually an apartheid, occupier, colonialist, settler state, instead of a Judean, historical, biblical, returning to the land, God's promise, even the world recognized it as such. And so that is the war that we're fighting, but you are fighting it at least just as much as I am. You may not know it, but you're on the front lines. And that's actually why I'm here with you today to give you that strength and to give you that, that, that knowledge, to give you that courage. And we're going to win this war. Why do I love Bucky's? <laughs> Why do I love Bucky's? Why is it? You go to Bucky's and there's a lot of pride there. You can get the jerky, you can get the coffee, you get the gas, but if you go to the store, they got like all these Texas things. I saw a Texas fire pit today. It's huge. And it's got the flag on the, the stake there on the side. I love the pride. You know, and I love, and I, and there's a lot of God there as well. I love that, and I think that it's so important to, to make it accessible, to make it, to make it fun, to make it real. Here in Texas, you have that. In other states, you don't have that as much. Uh, the Bible lives here. 
That's why you're in this room today. We've got to do that more and more. And Israel's got to do that even better. All right? We have to stop being ambivalent. My, my country, Israel, is a little bit ambivalent. It knows it's a Bible state, but it's not sure. It also thinks that it's a kind of socialist, modern state, uh, more concerned with democracy than it is with its biblical past. And it's ambivalent about places like Hebron. Hebron, there's a lot of Arabs living in it. Maybe we should give it away. Maybe, maybe we can have peace by, by kind of, you know, cutting out things, you know, cutting out the fat. And, and it's a mistake because it only emboldens our enemies. There are things that, that I have learned that I think I want to try to bring. Have you, has anybody been to a Renaissance fair? Have you ever been to a Renaissance fair? Are they fun? Are those fun? They're so fun, right? You come in and it's like everybody's dressed in the Renaissance stuff. I never forget, I was a kid, my parents used to take me to There was people throwing axes, couple-sided axes on it, you know, chucking on a piece of wood. I was like, oh my God, somebody here in New Jersey is throwing an axe, you know? Like, what is that? But I love the idea, I wish we would have Bible fairs where we could get dressed up. And you could do it here in Texas. And people will come from far away. Why don't they have a Renaissance fair? Renaissance is cool. But what about Bible fair? Biblical times. You guys can get dressed up. I see you getting dressed up. Right? People get dressed up. And we can weave, weave uh, wool. And we can do scribal stuff. And we can... Have you ever been to Colonial Williamsburg? You guys... You never been to... You should go. It's an amazing thing. They're still printing the newspaper on the old... Uh, with the old blocks. With the old... Uh, it's an amazing American thing. Uh, I want to do that for the Bible. I want us to live with the Bible. I want us to live with the Bible. Um, another thing that I'm working on, together with my friend Ann back there, is to help people. I'm taking an American idea to Israel. You guys have heard of Route 66, right? Yeah. Sure. See, it, that it is a heritage highway, right? Maybe you did it. Maybe you. Maybe you. Okay, you can do it. Well, we got a highway, it's called Route 60, and it connects seven holy cities, seven biblical cities. Watch this, from north, in the mountains of Samaria, it's Shechem, or we call it Shechem, the Arabs call it Nablus. What is in Shechem? The tomb of Joseph. That's where the Twin Peak Mountains of the of, of, of Mount uh, Eval, I don't know how you say it in English, uh, uh, Mountain of Eval and Kirizim, that's where the blessings and the curses the book of Deuteronomy took place. Okay? It's there. These Twin Peak Mountains. So that's Shechem. And then you drive from that Route 60 down, and you get to Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle stood for 369 years. And you can see the plain where the Jews stood around the tabernacle. And that's where the book of, the book of Samuel begins, remember? Remember the, how Samuel, the prophet, gets his beginnings? His mother prays in Shiloh. To give birth to a son, and she says, if I get a son, I'll, I'll dedicate it to God. And he came and he served in the tabernacle in Shiloh. That's, that's, where, that's where King David begins, through, through, through the prophet Samuel. And then you go down a little bit south from there on that same road, and you hit Bethel. Now when I say Bethel, I want everybody in this room to be like, when I say Bethel, I don't mean Bethel, Pennsylvania. And I don't mean Bethel Church. And I don't mean... By the way, why do people call Bethel? Why, why are there so many Bethels in What does the word Bethel mean? Bethel. What does it mean? House of God. So everybody wants their church, their kindergarten, their synagogue to be called Bethel, the house of God. 
But there's an original painter. And when I say death though, I want everybody in this room to say, dream of the ladder. That's where Jacob had his dream of the ladder. Dream of the ladder. That's the most important dream of them all. The connection between heaven and earth. So I say death though, you say dream of the ladder. Okay, just that simple. And you keep going south from that, and there's another city. It's called Jerusalem. Yerushalayim. Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is where Abraham almost sacrificed his son Isaac. And it's where two temples stood. It's where King David made it his capital. We call it Jerusalem, D.C. Jerusalem, David's capital. All right, so he's going to remember. And you keep, so that's four cities with the center being Jerusalem. And you come down on that same route, and you hit, you hit Bethlehem. You guys heard of Bethlehem? I think you heard of Bethlehem. And we're going to get to that in a minute. You know I live right next to Bethlehem? You know I literally, I don't mean it to be seen, I literally, it says at my, when I come out of my town, it says to the right Bethlehem, I'm right next to Bethlehem. And for us Jewish people, it's of course the birthplace of King David. And before that, the burial place of Rachel. We come to Rachel to pray for our troubles. Okay, we don't pray to her, we pray in her, in her burial. That's in Bethlehem. That's where, that's where I live. I practically live in Bethlehem. My first name, by the way, is Yishai, which is in English, Jesse. Jesse the Bethlehemite. You see, God knows how to turn things. It's like your name is Yishai. So you're going to live next to Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And you keep going south from there, it's Hebron. You know what that is, right? What's, Beth, what's Hebron? Go ahead. What's there? Two of the matriarchs? The matriarchs, see? We got it. And then finally, you keep going that very same road, and it's Beersheba. How do you say Beersheba? Yeah, and that's where Abraham dug his wells. That's where he taught people about the one God. It's all one highway. So we're going to take an American idea. We're just going to take Route 66. We're going to make a heritage highway called the Israel Biblical Highway. And just like this lady said, I've been on it. You guys are going to say, oh yeah, I did the Israel Biblical Highway. Of course. So we're going to take an American idea and we're going to bring it to Israel. We're going to connect everybody on that one heritage road. All right, now I want to get to your questions. So I just want to make one last, one last pitch to you. First thing is, we got to make our life a little bit more bridged. Because I can tell you that this Newark, Texas, is far away from Israel. How do we bridge these gaps? Little things make a difference. I want you to put up a picture of Israel in your house. Especially if you visited yourself there and you took a snapshot, go to the store and develop it. Make it to a poster and frame it. Put it in your special place. Could be Jerusalem, could be the beach of Tel Aviv, whatever, whatever gets it. The other thing is we actually have products that we sell. Within the Christian world, people get nervous about wine. Some people like wine, some people don't like wine, Jews love wine. Alright? I always tell Jews, buy a bottle of wine from the land of Israel. They sell them in the store. Not just to support Israel. To imbibe Israel, to buy the Holy Land, to drink the same water that Elijah drank. And there's other things. There's other, there's other products. Bring Israel to your life a little Bring Israel into your life. Now, we have this uh, holiday coming up on December 25th. So, and it's everywhere, right? And you guys, really, America. You know it's Christmas. You can hear it in the music. You can smell it, you can see it. All right, that's great. But you know what? 
I want to make a plea. Well, first thing, a little bit of a joke is that, you know, I live in Judea and Samaria, the so-called settlements, right? So I always thought December 25th is when a Jew was born in Judea. So I call it Settlers Day, okay? You see? We celebrate when a Jew was born in Judea. Isn't that great? In the second commonwealth. And now we're working on the third commonwealth. So I call it Settlers Day. And on Twitter, it's a lot of fun, okay? But you know what? Maybe there's another way to do it, which is, I think, a little bit more biblical, which is King David Day. Okay? You know, guys, you guys can ask me about the differences between our religions. You can talk to me about Messiah. You can talk to me about all these things if you want. But I always, have a, I always say, let's agree to agree. To agree. Let's agree to agree. We have a lot that we agree on. Let's agree on those things. Let's agree to agree. We got tons to agree on. Don't be so Jewish in finding a way to disagree, okay? <laughs> let's agree to agree. There's a lot that we can agree on. So let's agree to agree. And we have so much that we can agree on. But you know what? Maybe December 25th means different things to us. But we can agree that King David is important to us, that Bethlehem is important to us, that King David was born in Bethlehem. And so I ask you to pivot just a tad from the Americana of Christmas and, and put a little Judea into it. Put a little thought of King David into your heart. I want to bring King David into this world a little bit more. I want to bring him down a little bit more. I want to bring him, when we say down, it's a Jewish way of saying, we say draw him down. Okay? I want to make him more in our consciousness. If you talk to Arabs about King David, they're like, oh, I respect King David. You have to have a strong leader. There's, there's something about King David. It's a great personality that can bring us together. There are certain personalities that can cause us a little bit of division. But if we talk about King David or about Abraham, it brings us together. Let's put King David into our hearts. All right? Let's stand with King David. Let's be his soldiers. He's a, he is the founder of the Messianic line, isn't he? Okay, so let's, let's, let's bring King David into, into our heart a little bit. And that's what I'm doing. I'll, I'll finish off with this. Uh, I think it's important to have a personal mission statement in life. And I share with you my mission statement. And this is what, 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 what drives me every single day and why I hauled my body all the way from, from Israel and got here to today. I have a guiding principle, which is, we, we say it in a prayer in Judaism every day, which is, Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, who returns his presence to Zion. My job in this world, I believe, is to help and be part of the effort to draw God's presence back to Zion. That's the ingathering of the exiles, that's building of Jerusalem and places like Hebron, that's bringing the Bible back and into consciousness that there's enemies out there. They want to completely take everything I just said and take that apart. They don't want the Jewish people coming back to the land of Israel. They don't want Jerusalem to be built. They don't want the Bible to be taught. You know that. And so that's my personal goal in life is to work for God. I don't wait for Messiah. I work for Messiah. Okay? I try to be on his team. If I could be a lower officer on his, in his army, I'm thankful. That's what we also say in Judaism. We say, just give us a part in your great mission. We say, give us a part in your Torah. Give us a part in your holy mission. And that's what I think that we're living. We're living in a time of a great opportunity. Wow, what an opportunity. World War I, World War II, rebirth of the Jewish state, uh, uh, miraculous wars, the Hebrew language coming back, uh, the land of Israel flourishing, people around the world hearing that call. And yet there's this contra force. You guys would call it Satan, right? Get behind Satan, right? You would say 
There's, there's an effort out there to darken that great light. And we're going to fight that. We're going to bring that light out to the world. Yes. So God bless you folks. Let's be strong together. And I will give, uh, I have some time. Do I have some time? Rianne. Oh, there we um, Just, if you need to go, go. If you want to stay, Isha is going to answer questions. Also, um, Isha is speaking tomorrow night at Glenn Beck's studio, the Mercury's One Studios. And if you would like to go hear Isha speak tomorrow night, um, let, I guess, talk to Lori and let her know you'd like a ticket because Ann Stacy has graciously offered to pay for anyone's ticket who would like to go. So Isha is the guest speaker tomorrow night and see Lori if you'd like to be a part of that. If you need to go, go. If you want to ask Ishai questions, uh, we're going to 10, 15 minutes. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll handle this. Okay. Yeah, great. I'm good. But here's what I want. I want you to ask me the tough ones, the ones that are sitting on your heart. Don't go easy on me. I believe me, I face tougher audiences than you guys. So go ahead and ask what's on your heart. Go ahead. Uh, what's the significance, the significance of David's first anointing in Hebron? Well, that's a great question, and the answer is, is that David was anointed twice, once to be the king of, or the leader, the, the prince of Ju Judah, that's the tribe that he's from, he's a Judah, he's from the tribe of Judah, and so first he coalesces his tribe around him, and then the second time, all the tribes come from all over the country and anoint him as king of Israel, once he gets, becomes king of Israel, and he, the, the Kabbalah, the mystical doctrines, say that he nurtured from the forefathers and mothers how to rule over all of Israel. When he's done with that, he moves to Jerusalem, his neutral capital, a new capital, which is not Hebron, which is the capital of Judea, and he, he now gets anointed by all of Israel, and he moves to Jerusalem to rule over all of Israel once that period is finished. He was king in Hebron for seven years, and moved to Jerusalem for 33 years. Yes? Do you believe that the temple will be rebuilt in our lifetimes? And the uh, second part of the question, uh, can you help us uh, take a trip to Israel? Can you get us access? Great. First thing, all the folks that want to go, I just want to thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much. Have a great day. God bless you. Uh, one second, one second. I got to answer your question. He asked, he asked about this little thing called the third temple, so I got to give him a chance to answer that. I 100% believe that within X number of years, and it might be 50 or it might be 100, there will be a third temple in Jerusalem. I have no doubt on that. You can wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me, is there gonna be a third temple in Jerusalem? I am certain of it, and I know the spot. It's the spot where the other two temples were. How's that gonna happen? I don't know. But we're working on it. It's, it's the spot where the Golden Dome is. The Muslims did a great job of keeping that spot nice and bright, and, and you know exactly where it is. That's the spot where the Holy of Holies was, on top of the foundation stone, that's the place. How that's gonna work out, what fireworks will take place, I don't know, uh, but it will be there. And I'm certain that, I, I, I'm just telling you my rational mind tells me it's about 100 years ago. Okay, but maybe I'm wrong, maybe you, know, you gotta wait, you, know, you gotta be excited about it for today, but there are processes in motion, and they are unstoppable. There are unstoppable processes. Uh, they will be slowed down by various efforts, but it, the, the, uh, the eventuality is inevitable. There will be a third temple. With regard to flying to Israel, uh, you must, and I, and, and I have to say to you uh, that there's no way that a person 
a believing person should not visit the Holy Land. Every believing person should pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And if they haven't, they haven't lived. you got to pilgrimage to the Holy Land. It's obvious. It's, it's what the Bible is about. And even the book of Zechariah, at the end of the book of Zechariah, tells us that the Gentiles will come in pilgrimage to Jerusalem on the, on the Feast of Sukkot. But in any case, the message is clear. A person's got to come and, and, and face the God of Israel in, in Jerusalem. And of course, visit the fathers and mothers in Hebron. It's, it's like a... It's, 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 it, you have to do it, or else, the, or else you, didn't, you didn't live it. You didn't, you didn't fulfill that, 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 that calling. Uh, now, how to do it today? There's this crazy thing called Corona. I'm not going to get into it now. And there are limitations, but it'll break. It will break. And, and we are somewhat thankful for Corona because it's made the heart grow fonder. People know, they, you know what? They don't think it's like Disney World. I can go to Israel anytime I want. No. It's a holy place. It's not always open to you. And next time when the, when the door opens, you better, you better use that opportunity. I expect that when this period is finished, there'll be a flood of people coming to connect to Israel. A lady, please. Hi, I was just curious as to what like musical instruments like are really precious to like Israel. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, uh, my son has shown musical talent, and he's now playing the flute, the recorder. And he's 10, and he just keeps playing that thing. Um, um, I, I was not gifted with, with that kind of thing, um, with, with that kind of musical talent. I just talk a lot. Um, but, um, um, you know, there's a whole literature about the Levites, they play the harp, and they play other instruments. There were specialized instruments in the temple. There will be specialized instruments in the temple. But at the end, all, all instruments are music. And they all contribute, as you know. You're probably a musician if you're asking me. So you, you know what it is. Music people know. Uh, you know, it was like Moses didn't know how to make the temple vessels of vestments. But Betzalel, how do you say Betzalel? Betzalel, what? You know, the, he's the, uh, uh, the, the artisan, he knew. And so you know better than I do. You know how to talk to God using musical instruments, and that time will come when people will come from all over the world and they will play that song. Yes, ma'am? Um, I had heard that the Muslims were thinking about giving up control of the Temple Mount, and another guest speaker we had said, you maybe the person to ask about that. Is that true? Well, Muslims are uh, over a billion people in the world. There are 400 million Arab Muslims. Uh, and so the word Muslims is a very broad thing. You could just guess, like, like the word Christians. It's, it doesn't, there's no such thing as Christians. Because there's Eastern Orthodox and a million, so many, you know, it's not one thing. Uh, so we can't really talk about the Muslims per se. Uh, however, it is, a, it is a very hot topic in the Arab world. Uh, that is because Saudi Arabia does not like the idea that the Temple Mount is the far mosque, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. They don't believe it. They think that the Al-Aqsa Mosque is actually in Saudi Arabia. And the folks that, in the Islamic world that made Al-Aqsa the far mosque from the, from the Quran were people that were actually fighting against the Saudis or the than the Saudis, the Hashemites. And so, um, and so there is a, a, a debate within the Muslim world, and it becomes political, it's politicized. 
Uh, and Islam is politicized. Islam is a political religion. It always has been. It's a conquering religion. And so, very much depends on what side you're on. So, Arab Palestinians in Israel who are anti-Israel, not all are anti-Israel, but those, for them, the Temple Mount is the most important thing. And we must hold on to it no matter what and make sure the Jews don't get there because that's our holy spot. And if the Jews take over, <clears throat> that means that they've arisen and, there's, and, 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 and they're the chosen. By the way, that's just in parentheses, I want to say to everybody, what's the real fight? What's the real fight in the Middle East? Is it over land? No, not really. Is it over voting rights? No, not really. What is it really about? Who is God's chosen people? Is it Islam? Is it Jews? Is it, is, is it Christianity? What, what is it? That's the fight. And in Hebron, it's who's Abraham's firstborn son? Who's Abraham's son? Who's your daddy? You know? Who is, who is, who is the, who's the son of Abraham? Is it Ishmael? Well, if you, if God gave you the strength to control the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs, that means God is with you, that means that Ishmael is the chosen son, or it means that Israel is the chosen son. And that's the real conflict. Whenever anybody else tells you it's about rights, or land rights, or voting rights, that's all hogwash. That is not what's really behind it. Okay? Wait, what was your question? <laughs> Oh, so then, so, so are the Muslims giving up the Temple Mount? Well, far from it. On one hand, they're fighting for it tooth and mouth. Now, I was, I used to live on the Mount of Olives. For seven years, I lived on the Mount of Olives. And it's a long story about how Jews lived there, but Israeli Jewish cab drivers don't like to drive there. So after a while, I started not looking for Jewish cab drivers, but for Arab cab drivers. And I found that with the Arab cab drivers, it's the best conversations. Arabs are very afraid of what other Arabs think of them. But in the cab, one-on-one, -on -one, they let you know what they really think. And one day, a real bearded guy with a big white skull cap, you know, pulled up and I'm like, this is great. Now we're gonna have some fun. So I go, where are you from? He says, he's so weak. It's a neighborhood in Jerusalem which is known for its jihadism against Israel. I go, why are you guys making so much trouble? He goes, you guys don't give us our rights, you deny us our land. I'm like, you know what, I would give you all residency as long as you follow the laws of Israel and your status as a Jewish state. He goes, okay, that's fair enough. He goes, but, but the Temple Mount, the Haram al-Sharif, he used the Arab term, that's a red line. The Temple Mount's a red line. We can't let you have that. I said, you know what, it's a red line for me too. So he went south. I said, I have an idea, let's have a war. We'll fight about it, and whoever Allah decides wins, we'll, we'll win it. He became silent. He stroked his beard like this. I talked to him in his language. I said, we'll have a fight over it. Let's see who, let's see who Allah decides. And, and that's, that's our way to speak to them sometimes. They, they, by the way, don't understand secular language. They understand God language. And, and, so, uh, and so there will be a battle for that. Uh, and the way we're going to win that battle is by being clear about what we believe is right. And we know that that shrine today is a, is a shrine, a Muslim shrine. On one hand, it's a nice prayer shrine. On the other hand, it's a site of great anti-Semitism and anti-Israelism. And that's because it's unjust. It's our, it's the site of two temples, and it'll be a site of the third temple. When that justice is served, then there'll be peace. There'll be peace through uh, assertion of, of our rights and our justice. Because they'll accept it. Because they'll know it's true. Yes? Final questions, my friends. Don't be embarrassed. Come on. Where's the telephones? Come on, don't hide. Yes, ma'am. I don't, I don't have a tough question. I just missed what was the what was the shrine that is still existing. 
And this is the name. Well, the, the shrine that's existing is the tomb of the patriarchs and matriarchs in Hebron. That's the shrine that's in existence. It's uh, in Hebrew we call it Machpelah, which means the double cave. You might call they sometimes call it the cave of Machpelah. These are, but that's a weird word. What does the word Machpelah mean to you? Nothing, right? And we have these signs in Israel. It's called Cave of Machpelah. What's a Machpelah? I don't know. Is it a matchbox? What is that? I don't know what it is. So Machpelah means double cave, double, uh, double tomb, because it's the word Machpelah comes from Kafu, which means two. Uh, but in English, the term should be Tomb of the Ancestors, Tomb of the Patriarchs and Matriarchs in Hebron. Okay, thank you very much. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for working with you. And we'll see you soon. We'll be stronger together. Yeshua, may God bless you. Along your ways, we'll see you in the land of Israel soon. Shalom. All right, folks, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show. I hope you enjoyed that talk uh, from Texas to Bible, love, Bible followers and and, and Israel lovers, uh, Gentile friends uh, here in beautiful Texas. And uh, that's it. I got to get back to uh, my, my trip here. Uh, and I'm wishing you lots of love and lots of blessings uh, from Texas, which is the other Lone Star State, but of course channeling the land of blessings, which is the land of Israel and the rebirth of the Jewish people in the land of Israel, all for God's glory so that God's presence can, um, God's presence can, uh, be channeled through Jerusalem, through the land of Israel, through Hebron, to the world uh, for his uh, presence to be um, seated uh, in a place of honor in this world so that humanity can come to a greater consciousness and follow him. It's an amazing period that we're living in, and we have to be so excited and so heated up about it, so thankful for every moment. I am thankful for you out there. Uh, and I also want to thank Ben Bresky, Tabitha, Yocheved, Moshe Herman, and Lou uh, for he- helping making this show happen. So I'm uh, sending you blessings and a yeehaw uh, from, uh, from Texas. And y'all come back now, you hear? And shalom. What is the purpose of this? groups being here. We intend to go back home. The land is waiting for us for 2,000 years. It's about time to settle. Do you have permission from the government to settle? Permission from the government? I don't think that a Jew needs permission from anyone. Tune in to The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer, now in the 1970s. Whatever else Zionism may be, it is not and cannot be a form of racism. Learn all about the rise of international terrorism, the birth of the settlement movement, and the story of the Jewish people and Israel. Israeli commandos armed and ready for combat. In 36 minutes, they killed seven hijackers, helped the hostages to the waiting planes, and took off again for the long flight back to Israel. That's The Jewish Story with Rav Mike Foyer on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.